You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love has revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we may live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loves us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. The word of the Lord. We believe it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus into this world to rescue and to redeem us. I pray that right now, through your Holy Spirit, um, that you would work in our midst, that you would help us to see that, Jesus, you are alive, and you are with us even right now. We don't just have to talk about you. We get to talk to you. We don't just get to sing about you. We get to sing to you. We get to celebrate. You're in our midst right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. I pray that it settled deep into our hearts today. It's in Christ's name I do pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you were to compile a top ten list of the most popular Bible verses of all time on every single list that you would find. John 3.16 is at the very top of the most popular verses of all time. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's actually the very first verse that I ever memorized. I grew up in a, in a pastor's home. I grew up in church and heard this verse preached and talked about many times. And here's the deal. As a result of that, I grew up convinced that God loves the world. Problem is, I really struggle to believe that God loves me. And maybe that's where some of you are today. You know that God loves the world, but you struggle to feel tangibly that God loves you. And there's several reasons for why this can be. For some of you, you struggle to believe that God loves you because of shame. As you think about the terrible things that you've done, you look and you say, how in the world could God ever love someone like me? And rather than just sitting in the loving presence of God and letting him love you because we live in such a highly, you know, uh, just driven society that believes that, that, that we are however we perform. If we perform well, we're loved well. If we perform well, we're worthy. We begin to think the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. So we're like, man, I think about all the bad things I've done. And if I'm going to earn God's love, I just have to try harder to be better, which actually leads to more shame when you realize that you can never truly live up to the holy standard of God. And so you struggle to believe that God could ever love someone like you when you think about all the bad stuff you've done, all the ways you've fallen short. For others of you, though, you struggle to believe God loves you not because of shame, but because of suffering. For you, you struggle to believe God loves you not because of bad things you have done, but because of bad things that have been done to you. And I'll never forget back in 2017 on Christmas morning, I received a call from Paragold Hospital at 5 a.m. that one of my good friends, Mallory, along with her baby, had died. 
Uh, she was pregnant with her third child. She woke up at around 4 a.m. She gasped and fell over dead. And so her husband, who was also a friend of mine, called and asked me to come sit with him on Christmas morning in the hospital. And I sat there with them as they were all, as you could imagine, absolutely devastated. And I then, I then went home and I, I opened presents with my own kids. And after that, I went back to Seth's house. I had to go pick up the rings at the hospital, her wedding ring, Mallory's wedding rings, and took them to Seth. And I'm sitting there and I'm, uh, I'm just, it's just Seth and his kids. And they just opened their presents without their mom. And I just sit there and I thought in this moment, like, man, God, if, if you're so loving, why do you let things like this happen? And maybe some of you can relate, again, not because of something bad you've done, but bad things that have been happening to you, you're like, and there's no way that God really loves me. But then there's a third reason at times we struggle to feel the love of God. And it's not because of our shame, it's not because of our suffering, but it's because of our selfishness. Because we live in a culture that constantly places an emphasis on self-care, and I think that is correct, at times we can confuse self-care for selfishness. Self-care is a good thing, by the way. Like, it is good for you to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. Like, some of you, you would love your spouse. You would love other people better if you would take care of yourself. If you would maybe, you know, get better sleep or see a therapist or exercise or whatever. I mean, like, self-care is a good thing. But here's the difference between self-care and just being selfish. Self-care is about taking care of yourself for the purpose of serving others. To be selfish is different than that. To be selfish is about taking care of yourself just for the purpose of yourself. It's about putting you first, your wants, your interests, your needs ahead of everyone else because you feel like you are more important than the people around you. See, self-care is ultimately about caring well for others. When you practice self-care, you begin to grow in empathy and love, but being selfish is different. Uh, when you're selfish, you become more greedy. You become self-centered and narcissistic and overindulgent. You become less empathetic and less loving, and this is a major problem. Not only is it a problem when it comes to your relationship with God or relationship with others, it's a problem when it comes to your relationship with God. Because as we're going to see in our text today, and you've got to get this, if you want to receive God's love in a tangible way, you need to release God's love to others in a tangible way. In other words, if you want to experience God's love more fully, you need to share God's love more freely. When I look back on that Christmas morning in 2017, it is the last place that I would have chosen to be in a hospital, surrounded by death. And yet when I look back on that Christmas morning, I would say of all the Christmas mornings I've ever had, I experienced God's love more tangibly on that day than I have any other Christmas morning. Not because there was lights and a tree and all these things, but it was because I had an opportunity to serve, to give love away, which allowed me to experience more of God's love. And you see, this is what John is hitting at here in this text today, that if we want to feel loved by God, if we want to tangibly receive his love more fully, we have to tangibly give away his love more freely. If you notice in verse 7, John starts and he says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so if you notice right out of the gate what John says, look, hey, uh, you want to know if you've been saved? You want to know if you've been born again by the Spirit of God? Well, look and see if you love he says, this is the, the true litmus test of true salvation. You love. And when John talks about love, he's not talking about a passive love that is about our feelings. 
He's talking about an active love that is a, a choice. It's, it's about the wheel. It's an agape type love. That's the Greek word that is used here, which means it's an unconditional love where we choose to move towards imperfect people, not with condemnation, but with compassion. John says this is the mark of every true Christian has, that has been born of God. And why? Verse 8, because God is love. Notice he doesn't say in here God has love. He says he is love. That means this is the essence of who God is. And because it's the essence of who he is, you have to get this today. No matter who you are or where you come from, God cannot not love you. To be in his presence at all is to be in the presence of love. God loves you. And he loves you, as the Jesus story of the Bible says, with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And how do we know this is true? Well, John tells us in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the message of Christmas. This is the message of Christianity, which if you notice starts in verse 9 with God. If you want to understand the Christmas story, you need to know that the, the whole story, our story, begins not with you, not with me, but with God. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the world. Right? God, out of an overflow of his own love, he, he spoke the world into existence. And then, at the climax of his creation, he created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the Garden of Eden. Eden, the Hebrew word for Eden, literally means delight. Despite what you have been told, God is not a celestial killjoy. God actually wants you to have pleasure. God wants you to have life. God wants you to have joy. He made this whole thing up. The problem is, and this is where sin comes in, is we don't believe what God really cares about most is our Happiness. St. Ignatius of Loyola, he says sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants most is our deepest happiness. God truly cares about your happiness. He cares about your joy. He cares about your pleasure. God created all of this. And listen, Adam and Eve, what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is they struggle to believe this. Deceived by the serpent, they begin to believe, actually, God doesn't care about my happiness. He doesn't really want to, to love me. And so in a, in a world full of yeses, they go after the only no. God says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the one thing they don't have is the one thing that they want. So many times like us, right? That one thing I don't have is the one thing I need to finally be happy. That's what they begin to believe. So they take the tree from the, uh, the fruit from the tree. God told them not to eat. And immediately sin enters into the pictures and everything is fractured. Death enters into the world. There is death and now between the humans and their relationship with God. There's death between the humans, right? They're, they are one time naked and unashamed, but now they're covering themselves with fig leaves and they're hiding. Physical death enters into the world. Now, every single thing that you see is falling apart. It is losing energy. Scientists call this the second law of thermodynamics, right? It's this idea that anything left to itself in this world begins to lose energy and fall apart. And so when I go home after the second service, I'm going to smoke a ham for our Christmas Eve service, or our Christmas Eve service. No, I'm not cooking for you. Uh, for my family's Christmas Eve dinner. 
And when I pull that ham out of the smoker, it's going to smell great. It's going to look great. It's going to taste great. But here's the thing. You leave that ham out for five hours, it's going to get cold. You leave that ham out for five days, it's going to become arsenic. It would not kill you if you ate it, right? And that is because of sin. Every single thing. Your job, your marriage, your body, apart from an incredible amount of work, is going to fall apart. And even despite an incredible amount of work, eventually one day we'll fall apart. And that is really bad news. But here is the good news. The Bible says it right here that God so loved the world, including you, including me, that he sent his son into this world. Jesus came into this world. He suffered every single way that you have suffered. He was fully God, but he was fully man. He suffered just as you suffered. He was tempted just as you were tempted, but he never once sinned. Never once did he give in to sin. And then he went as a perfect sacrifice to the cross where he shed his blood for you and me. Not only so our sins could be cleared, but even more importantly, our relationship with God could be restored. And we could know that now, no matter what, there's nothing that can ever, according to Paul, separate us from his love. You know, I've been journaling almost daily for the past 20 years. And I was struck recently by how many times in my journals I used to beg God, to show me that he loved me. Anybody else in here ever do that? God, just show me. God, just show me that you love me. And you see, according to the Bible, God has already showed us that he loved us. And now, all we have to do is just to accept that it is true. To believe that God actually loves us as much as he says that he does in the person of Christ. Right again, that's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever just believes can have eternal life. That word believe in the Greek is the word pistos, which literally means to put your weight in. You're practicing that right now by sitting in your seat. You're putting faith, you're putting your weight in your seat because you believe it will hold you up. And if you want to become a Christian, here's what you do. You put all of your faith and your trust in the love of God and you trust that his love alone, not your good works, but his love alone is enough to hold you up for all eternity. And if you're here today and you've never really surrendered to this truth, if you've never surrendered to God's love, I pray that you will today. Don't be so arrogant to think that your sin is too big for God. How prideful. That, that your sin is somehow too bigger or too big for God's grace. Surrender to what God says is true. You don't have to feel like it's true. Surrender to the truth. God loves you and he has proven that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place. For the rest of you in here, if you're like, well, I've already done that. What am I supposed to do? Well, John goes on to tell us. In verse 11 and in verse 12, which is where I want to focus the rest of our time, he says this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. We make the invisible God visible. And listen to this. This is what I want to focus on mainly. And his love is made complete in who? In us. That word for complete is the Greek word teleo, which literally means to bring to completeness, to reach its heights, go, to finish, make whole, or make perfect. It's the same word Jesus used in John 19, 28, when he says on the cross before he died, it is finished. It is teleo. What he is saying is this. I have completed the work. God's mission at this moment has been fulfilled in me. Now, okay, Jared, that's great. What is the point? Well, you can't miss this today. What John is saying here, my guess is this is going to be very new for some of you. 
What John is saying here is this. If you want to feel God's love inside of you in the most complete way possible, if you want God's love to reach its highest goal in you, and as a result, make you more and more into the man or woman that you long to be, then according to John, for this to happen, you ought to love one another. In other words, if you want to really experience God's love, rather than embracing a life of selfishness, you need to embrace a life of selflessness. Again, to experience God's love most fully is to give God's love away to others most freely. And this is so important because I, I don't hear people talking about this very often. A lot of times when people are like, hey, what can I do to experience God's love more? Here's what I, I hear people say. Worship God, man. Like passionate worship. Like better music. Like turn on K-Love. Like let's come in here and like, let's just like get after it with the praise band. Or read your Bible daily. Or, or, or pray more often. And to that, I say yes and amen. But the missing piece that we often forget to mention in our discipleship is that if we want to experience God's love in a tangible way, we need to give his love away to others in a tangible way. In the words of Tim Keller, we need to learn the freedom of self-forgetfulness, to think less about ourselves and more about others, to show up not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives away. And this, according to John, and by the way, you may remember, what was John's nickname? Say it again. The beloved or the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who gave John that nickname? John. Can you imagine feeling so loved by God that you nickname yourself the Beloved? Who are you, bro? Hey, uh, Jared. No, don't call me Jared if you don't mind. Call me uh, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Can you imagine feeling that love? That's his primary identity. And that guy is the one talking to us and saying, hey, you want to feel like that? Love one another in an unconditional, tangible way. Which begs the question, who's the one another? That's what we should be asking. Okay, if, we're, if that's how I'm going to experience the unconditional love of God is by loving one another, who's the love or who's the one another? And in this context, he's talking about the church. He's talking about your brothers and sisters. He's talking about the people that you're sitting next to right now. And this is much easier said than done. Because just like your biological family, you didn't get to pick who all came in the room today. You don't get to choose who's in this church. You don't get to choose everyone who's sitting around you or who's in your missional community. There are some people that you probably really enjoy hanging out with in this church, and there are other people who probably really annoy you. There are other people that are hard to get along with. There are some people in here that have different political views than you, have different personalities, different quirks and bad habits. And so sometimes there are people that we find ourselves sitting next to that are not easy to love. And this is one of the reasons I think it is so important for you to stay committed to the local church because it is here more than anywhere else. You get to practice agape love, which means you get a chance to love imperfect people you did not choose in the same way that God loves you, whom, by the way, he did choose. And so when John says love one another, he's talking about the church. But if you read the rest of the New Testament, you know we can't stop there, right? We're also called to love the last, the least, and the loss of society. 
Jesus said, and we've been talking about this in our series, right? In Matthew 25, he says, Whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. And another place in Scripture, the religious people were muttering because Jesus was spending most of his time with sinners and tax collectors, with the last, the least, and lost of society. And in response to their muttering, Jesus gives them three parables that are meant to highlight the scandalous love of God. In one parable, he says, let me tell you what God's love is like. It's like a shepherd who leaves 99 and goes after one. It's like a woman, he says, who turns her house upside down to find one coin. And after finding the coin, she throws a big party, which costs more than the coin. And then kind of the climax, in his third parable, he says, the love of God is like the son who took all of his dad's stuff. All of his dad's inheritances, the inheritance that was owed to him, his money, and he blew it all on prostitutes and loose living. And finally, whenever he had nothing left, he decided to turn and go back home. And when his dad saw him from afar, what did he do? He ran towards him. And he didn't shame him. He didn't punish him. He didn't say, I told you your life was going to fall apart if you left. He didn't do any of that kind of stuff. He welcomed his son with open arms. He said, kill the fattened calf. Put the robe on him. Put the, put the ring on him. Right? He said, throw a party for my son was lost, but now he is found. What is Jesus' point in sharing all three of these parables? Well, the point is this. God loves those whom we consider to be the most undeserving of his love. God loves the last, the least, and lost of society with an illogical, uncalculated, unconditional love, and therefore we are called to do the same. If we have received the unconditional love of God, we are to release that unconditional love of God, which means we are to love those who deserve it least. And this is why in Jesus' I think most radical teaching in all of the Bible, he says, You're even called to love who? Your enemies. No other teaching I'm aware of says something that crazy. You're called even to love those who just want your harm. And therefore, listen, in light of all that, if we're going to be the church Jesus has called us to be, we must become men and women of love. Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this the world will know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Which means if you want to prove to the world that Christ actually lives inside of you, the risen Jesus is inside of you. More than anything else, you're called to love. And to love doesn't just mean that you give your presence, but we give our presence. To love doesn't just mean that we throw money at something or that we turn in canned goods once a year, or we drop off clothes, and all that's great, and thank you so much for how you have responded to that as a church. That is all fantastic. But we are actually, if we want to love people the way Christ loves us, we're to show up in their lives. That's what Christmas is about. God didn't love us from afar. He came into our lives. We are to show up and be present in the lives of others through these tangible acts of love. And in doing so, we make the invisible God visible. And I think in order for this to happen, I just want to say this, and this is something I've become even more passionate about. If we're going to be a loving church, we have to be a listening church. If we're going to serve others in meaningful ways, we need to learn what people actually need. And we can't learn what they need need if we don't slow down and actually listen to what they have to say. Best-selling author Stephen Covey tells a story about a time he was on a subway car in New York City. And he said there was a man who came in the car with his two kids. And his two kids were going insane. They're like jumping all over people, like bumping into people. They're yelling. They're hollering. He says like everyone on the car 
except for this man, the father who seemed to be oblivious. Everyone else was tense, like one elderly man, like God had moved to the back of the car. And, and Colby's telling the story. He says, eventually I looked at this man. I said, sir, excuse me, perhaps you could try to restore some order by telling your kids to sit down. And he said, suddenly it's like this man snapped out of a daze. And he said, I'm so sorry. I, I just, I know I should do something. But we just came from the hospital. Their mother died an hour ago, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said in that very moment, he said, my judgment and my frustration and my agitation with this complete stranger was converted into compassion. There's an old Quaker phrase that says this, an enemy is one whose story you have not heard. An enemy is one whose story you just haven't heard. And that's so true, isn't it? Aren't we so quick to judge and throw stones at people that we only know from a distance? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is why he said love gets close enough to know. Love gets close enough to somebody where you actually learn their stories before you start trying to just air out your opinions or throw stones or look down at them in your heart. And this is something that I've learned in my own life. You know, I grew up in a, in a middle-class home here, and I, I've, you guys have heard me confess this before. I grew up, therefore, looking down on people who were poorer than us. They didn't act the way I thought they should act. Go get a job. Stop doing drugs. Clean yourself up a little bit. And I remember just looking down on them. I would have never said this out loud, but I did. For many times, a teenager, college years, I looked down on them in my heart. And then I got a job at Arkansas Counseling. And I began to sit in the living rooms of people who went from being stats to being stories. And as I heard their stories, I soon began to realize that if I grew up in the same type of environment they would have grown up in and experienced things they would have experienced, I would have probably been way worse than even they are. My condemnation was turned into compassion as I began to sit and listen. And I know, guys, this takes energy, this takes sacrifice, this takes commitment, which quite honestly, a lot of times I don't want to put in. Like, this is a message for me. Like, I struggle in this area. But as Peter Weiner points out in his New York Times article entitled The Forgotten Radicalism of Jesus Christ, he says this, The lesson from Jesus' life and ministry is that understanding people's stories and struggles requires much more time and effort than condemning them. But it is vastly more rewarding. And that's what the Apostle John is saying here. Again, in verse 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Despite what you have been told, maturity and love go hand in hand. You cannot experience the life-transforming love of God in a tangible way if you refuse to love others, including the least of these, in a tangible way. The more freely you love, the more fully you experience the love God has for you. And therefore, as a result, you begin to grow more and more into Christ's likeness. And therefore, you're true and you're better self. And if you've ever been in a 12-step program, you've heard all this before. Those of you who've been in 12-step programs, this is nothing new to you. Bill Wilson, who started the 12-step program, uh, he actually said this once. He said, when my temptation is greatest to run back towards the bottle, that thing uh, that thing, the thing that upends that temptation is when I choose to selflessly love and serve someone else. It fills me with an otherworldly strength. It's the key to my own recovery and freedom. The way to save my own life is to give it away. And so as we end the day, I just want to say this. Look, if you're here and you're like, man, I've been struggling with addiction, porn addiction, alcohol, pills, Maybe you're struggling with major depression or anxiety that you can't seem to shake. You've been battling the same sins over and over and over. And the question you're asking is, what should I do about this? 
Well, the surprising response from 1 John that we never thought we would hear is that you need to turn your attention off of yourself for a little bit. You need to sacrificially seek to serve others because when we choose to love others as we have already been loved by God through Christ, we experience God's love in a supernatural yet tangible way that transforms not just the person we are loving, but those of us who are doing the loving. And I think this is perhaps why Jesus says in Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus says the happiest people on the planet, the most whole and complete people on the planet are not those who keep walking around saying, what can you do for me? But what can I do for you? And this is exactly what we see with Jesus. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. That he left his comfort and the cleanliness of his own home and with compassion in his eyes and love in his heart, he moved right into the middle of our mess. And in his own words, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. With that being said, I'm going to invite the band to come forward, and we're going to partake of communion. I want us to remember that Christ did come to this earth, yes, in a manger, but eventually went to a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to ransom us. And so if you're here today and you're a Christian, even if you're not a member of our church, you're welcome to receive communion. We have a station here that will serve you. We'll take off a piece of bread, which represents the perfect life of Jesus lived on your behalf. We'll dip it in the juice which represents his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Or if you want a gluten-free kind of self-serve option, we have that over here in the corner. Again, if you're a Christian, you're welcome to partake of this. Another way that we typically respond in worship is through giving. And there are several different ways that you can give if you choose to do that through texting. Uh, you can te- you go online, you can give in person, or the app. And again, that's not a way to earn God's love. It's just in response to his love. Everything you have given to me, you've already given me the greatest gift in Christ. And I just want to, in response, give back a portion of what you've already given to me. And so, our communion service, are they coming? Are they here? Okay, there we go. Awesome. Communion service, go ahead and come forward. Um, if you are here and you're not a Christian, rather than receiving communion, I want to encourage you today to receive Christ. To go to Him with the empty hands of faith. And to trust that he loves you as much as he says that he does. And that only his love when you receive it is the thing that ultimately can fulfill you. And transform you more into the person that you long to be. And if you have questions about that. If you're like, man, I don't even know what that looks like. You can come meet with me. I'll be up here in the front. We've also got the Coopers back here in the back. They would love to connect with you. And if you have anything else you want prayer for. Maybe for some of you it's like, yeah, I'm not making a decision to give my life to Jesus today. But I've got this physical need I want prayer for. An emotional need or something else I'm struggling with. Man, there is power in prayer, like humility and vulnerability, like for whatever reason, God honors when we show our neediness. And so if you want prayer, like that is not, just so you know, when you go ask for prayer, that is not a sign of your spiritual immaturity. That's a sign of your maturity. Does that make sense? It's not a sign that you're really screwed up. It's a sign you're actually really healthy. And so I would encourage you, if you want prayer for anything, come talk with me or talk with the Coopers in the back. I know they would love to pray for you. With that, let's stand together. I'll pray. We'll take communion, sing another song, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you so much that you loved us before we loved you, before we ever lifted a finger for you, before we did anything except continue to to basically sin against you. You sent your son Jesus to come and to die in our place. Jesus, I pray that right now that through your Holy Spirit 
that you would make the Christmas message, that you would make the gospel alive in each of our hearts, that we would see that despite our own shame, despite our own suffering, despite our own selfishness, which we all wrestle with, that you never stop loving us. And I pray that we would not be a people who try to earn that love, but that we would just accept it, that we would receive it, that we would believe that it is true of us already. And we would surrender to that love, and as a result, we would be a conduit of that love in the lives of other people. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask those things. Amen.